0: This morning we're going through a little bit of changes, just let me let you know about that. We're upgrading the sound system, you'll see some new speakers hung, uh, but they are not on. They have not been turned on, so they'll be turned on this next week as they balance out the room. And so it's a huge week for us, and we pray that our sound system will make it a couple of more services. We've been having problems with our sound system, it just like freaks out and makes this horrible sound. And there's nothing you can do other than run up here and turn everything off, and it takes a while. And so we prayed that it's never, it will never happen in a service, and so far it hasn't. It's happened in rehearsal, it's happened in our foundation class, it's happened some other times, but never in a service. So we just got a couple of more, so you guys pray for them, because uh, hopefully uh, they'll get it all hooked up and the video screens will be operational next week and some other things also in the building. And then also, uh, you guys pray for me. Uh, this next week I've been invited to be a quick trip to San Francisco, but I've been invited to speak at a seminary. Uh, to the faculty, and to the students there. And so uh, I'm still wondering if they got the right guy. So <laughs> I'm like, are you sure? So we'll see how it goes. But uh, you, guys, you guys pray for me. Last night after, the Saturday, after, after our Saturday night service, a young man came up to me as a junior in high school. He came up to me and said, excuse me, do you realize uh, you used a double comparative in your sermon? I'm like, what? He goes, Yeah. He says, I told my mom, and my mom says, don't worry about it. He's from Texas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. His mom was not pleased what she told me or what he told me or what she said. So you know what? I'm going to do the very best I can not to use a double double comparative, whatever it is, (laughs) today. All right. So here we go. We're going to finish up the series that we've been doing on surrender, what it means to surrender to God. Next week we start a brand new series through the life of Jonah, through the book of Jonah. I am, I am so excited about this new series that we're going to do. And we'll start that off next week. And so you guys join us for that. But this week, we're going to finish up this series on on surrender. And actually, this is a continuation of the sermon that, that I preached last week about this issue of loving others. And so, when you break this passage down, you realize that Paul is talking about two different groups of people. He's talking about one group of people that is really easy to love. In other words, there's a group of people, and we know this, there's a group of people out there that are easier to love than others. And then he comes back to the end and he says, whoa, let me talk to you about another group of people that are difficult to love or they Well, they're just kind of the extra grace required people, right? Uh, I mean, there's just people in life that, that they require an extra amount of grace and your dealings with them and everything But have you noticed that in our society? We're always trying to think make things easier. We're trying to make things simpler if you will. I mean IRS here a while back, a few years ago, announced that they're going to make ta- tax forms a lot easier and simpler and streamline them. And it, and it seems like they're, they're getting more and more complicated. It seems like we live in a time where the easier, simpler that people try to make things, the more complicated it gets. I mean, have you ever watched a how-to video? When I started playing golf, I bought a how-to DVD. And I mean, I listened to that thing. Well, I watched the thing and listened to it. And it was like, you need like a physics degree. Just to understand, I mean, they they made something that that looked simple, but they made it so complicated it was supposed to be an easy way to play golf. It seems like radios, just give me an on-off switch and a knob to tune it. (laughs) Sometimes it takes me 10 to 15 minutes to figure out how to to turn on a new radio. One man said this, one man said that if the safety pin was invented today, it'd have 10 moving parts and it would require servicing twice a year. I mean... (laughs) We just live in a time where it seems like we take things that are somewhat simple and we make them more complicated. And the same issue with this issue of loving others. I mean, we have taken this issue of loving others in some ways that, boy, we have made it so difficult, we have made it so complicated. Jesus made it very easy. The Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 12, that we're going to look at, he made it easy as well. Jesus said this in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. Jesus says, here it is. Let me just, let me just, let me give it to you just easy so you can understand it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, and here's, here's the interesting thing about that. Our first duty is to God, not to man. And You just got to understand that. I mean, Jesus is trying to boil it down. Jesus is trying to make it simple. Here's the interesting thing to that. First thing he says, our first duty to God, not to man. fact is, if you look at the order, it's kind of interesting when it says you love God first, then love your neighbor, then yourself you know what sin is sin is is when we reverse the order in which God has given us and here's what we do in our time we reverse the order love self first then others around us and then somewhere in the mix is God truly that's what we do that if we're not careful we reverse that order. Order. It's all about us, my wants, my needs, my likes, all that other stuff. Then we worry about how to please family and neighbors and all this other stuff. And then somewhere in the mix, if we're not careful, that God gets lost. And if you were with us last week, you know that we talked about some things about surrender. We talked about surrendering yourself to God to where you do His will, that when, if you don't do His will, if you live in rebellion, you'll never have permanent satisfaction. Then we looked at this issue that love is genuine. In other words, love is without hypocrisy. True love doesn't wear masks. I mean, true love brings the barriers down, brings the walls down, and it's just transparent. Then we looked at that issue that love is considerate to one another's needs. We looked at the issue that, that love is contagious, and there's something about someone that loves. There's something about someone that just loves people and accepts them. It's just kind of contagious. And then we looked at this issue, that as we pick up this morning, as we're all together now, is, is Apostle Paul says, and here's the other thing about love. Love is positive, patient, and prayerful. Now, we looked in detail about this issue that love is positive, that as a believer, that, that, that with what we have, I mean, because he said, be joyful in hope in verse 12. Paul says, just be joyful in hope. And regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what goes on with our economy, regardless with the future, regardless of the circumstances that you go through, that the believer can always have hope. The fact is, the believer should always have hope. There is, nothing, there is nothing contagious about a negative believer. There is nothing contagious about a believer that is as negative as the world. And so he says, learn to be positive. Learn learn to be joyful. And then he moves into this deeper form that that is just kind of new ground for us this morning. Is Then he says, be patient. Oh, don't just be patient in anything. Be patient in affliction. Be patient in difficulty. Be patient in affliction in your life. Romans 5, 3 and 5 says this. Not only so, but we also rejoice in, in our tribulation. We rejoice in our tribulation. We rejoice in our problems. We rejoice in our difficulty. We rejoice when we're dealing with difficult and hurtful people. We're to rejoice in that. What is up with that? What does that mean? And and Paul gives the answer, because. Because. Let me just answer this. Because we know that suffering, what? Produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. There's something that happens inside of us and when we go through tribulation. When we go through, it sometimes reveals some things in us that we may not like. Sometimes some things come out in us that we think, I've got to deal with this. I've got to work through this issue in my life. There's something about difficulty when you walk through it. And Paul's saying, learn to be patient in affliction. Through life journaling, this last week, our fact is it was Saturday morning, uh, Daniel 3 and 4, and if those of you that are life journaling with us, you, you know these chapters and you, you've read this, but it was King Nebuchadnezzar and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I remember, they, were, they, they wouldn't bow down to, wor- to worship idols, and they wouldn't bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he got angry at them, and he was going to cast them into the fiery furnace. And the fact is, he told them, he told his his attendants he says turn up the flames seven times hotter to where when they begin to turn up the flames seven times hotter the people the attendants around almost burned to death that the fire was so intense and then this verse when he told them that he was gonna cast them into the fiery furnace when they said if this be so our God whom we serve duty God first we serve God first duty to God first and they says if this be so in other words if this if this is a circumstance if this be true he said this he said we serve God first he is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace in other words they knew death was an option they knew he was able to but they didn't know if he would they knew he was able to but they didn't know for sure He said he's able See, a lot of times when we have so much anger with people, we we give them way too much power in our life. We believe they control our future. God controls your future. Yeah, some people may be able, able to affect you or hurt you, but they ultimately do not have your destiny, your power in their hands. And the reason so many times we have trouble dealing with people is because we give them way more power than they ever had in our life. And then he goes on and says, and he will deliver us from out of your hand. In other words, this, God's way more powerful than you. You may be the king. You may be the earthly king. But if God chooses, regardless if he chooses, we're with him. We stay on this earth. We still have a relationship with him. We leave this earth, we'll see him face to face. This issue about being patient in in difficulties and being patient in, in tribulation says that we are confident that the plan of God and the power of God is greater than the problems that we go through. But God has done some deep things in my life through some deep hurt and deep pain. Revealed some things in me that, that needed to go. That's why he says just be patient in, in, in affliction. Then he comes back and he says, oh, and be patient in prayer or be faithful in prayer. Learn to just be faithful in prayer and... Boy, in this world, and you know in the times that we live in, it, it's really easy to get under pressure. It's, it's easy to get under pressure to where you're irritable, you're short, you're hurtful. You know how I know when I'm under pressure? It's when I'm short with my family. When I'm grouchy. That's why life journaling or getting in God's Word is so important. There's an answer to pressure. It's prayer. It's not responding hurtful or mean to people. It's just a simple thing of learning just to be faithful. Faithful in prayer because we know this, right? Human love wears out. Human love wears out. And the way that we get God's love and the way that we get God's power in our life is is through prayer and through getting into his word. And then he says, just be joyful in in hope. In other words, expect the best. Listen, every one of us needs someone around us that expects the best of us, that just believes in us. He says, just learn to be joyful in hope and, and even when things get tough, just be patient and whatever happens, just be faithful in prayer and never stop praying and and learn to be positive. The next thing that he says as we walk through this is, is love will practice hospitality. But I mean, love will practice hospitality. And many times we misunderstand this, but verse 13, he says, share with God's people. And, oh, we've got to really understand what that, means, sh- that word share means. In this context, it just doesn't mean financial resources. It just doesn't mean goods. You've got to look at it in the context. Share with God's people who are in need. And then he uses an ter- uh, interesting term. He says, practice hospitality. In other words, it is something that you do. And, and here in, in the Greek, this word hospitality, it means strangers. A stranger's love. A love for strangers is what it means. And he's saying learn to be kind to strangers. Learn to have practical assistance. And see, there is a difference between entertaining and hospitality. We, had, we spent some time with, with some close friends in our church. And, and uh, one, one evening, we just got out life journals and started talking. And, and this, this topic came up. And it was just real interesting as we talked through it about the difference of entertaining and hospitality. See, entertaining, entertainment, entertaining, the focus is on the hostess. The focus is on the person. The focus is on the hostess that that everything's perfect, that everything's right. and, 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 And the focus is on them. Hospitality is totally different. Hospitality is the focus on the guest. The focus is those that are coming. I mean, I really believe that it's a spiritual gift of hospitality because there's some, there's some that can have you in their home and they entertain you and it's fun and it's good and it was a good evening, but that's really all there was. But there's others you can go into their home. And man, something happens. Man, it's like you were ministered to it's like it's like you were touched deeply and it, and it doesn't really matter what was served or what it was served on the focus was the relationship the focus that we were just together the focus was the topic of discussion the things that were discussed the things that were talked about the encouragement it was felt. See that's why he uses that term share with God's people you know he's talking about sharing fellowship, time time so many times is our most valuable resource that we just invite people in I mean when was the last time you had someone in your home that wasn't in your close circle of friends or family you just invited someone into your home why don't we practice hospitality more I just think it's the, I think it's the busyness of the day. That we just get so preoccupied, we just get so busy that we just don't have time. Even though we long for deeper relationships. Even though we long for those deeper relationships that are nurtured over time to where we have close relationships. And I think sometimes it's because we get confused between entertainment and hospitality. And we think, boy, to have anybody over our house, we've got to clean from the swamp cooler all the way to the gutters. Because if they wander into the crawl space, we want them to know it's clean. <laughs> and I understand. You know what? I'm with you. I understand this is more of an issue for women than it is for men. I, I, I totally understand that. No nudging. One man said this, one man said, you know what tact is? Tact is, is having people, uh, you know what, I better read it because I'm going to goof it up. <laughs> I got off on something else. Someone pointed out their spouse and so it just kind of wiped me out. So, I told you I lost it. Okay, I'll try to remember it. Tact is is the ability to make people feel at home when you wish they were home. (laughs) That's tact. You ever had that deal, you know? uh, Man, when when they'll leave, and are they going to leave? I might as well just, you know, hey, hey, we're going to bed. Just turn the lights off and lock up when you leave. And that's tact. But, you know, you look at this issue, and so many of us, we want those deeper relationships. We want those deeper friendships. But you know what? We don't spend time nurturing the, and developing. And We hung out with some friends Friday night and at, at the end of the night everyone was kind of leaving and someone says, man, my jaw's hurt just from laughing, just from smiling. And it wasn't what was served and it wasn't what it was served on. It wasn't any of that. It was just this... Look, Luke six thirty-two and 35, Jesus talks about this issue of, of helping people. He says... If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even lost people can do that. Even people without Christ, even people that don't go to church. I mean, anyone can love someone that loves them. Anyone can love someone that responds properly back to them. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to strangers expecting to be repaid in full. But, now watch this, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Watch this. Then your reward will be great. Now he's talking about earthly blessings. He's talking about blessings when you practice hospitality, when you share with those in need, when when you understand that. He talks about, guess what? You'll be blessed when you learn how to love the unlovable, when you learn how to love those that are difficult to love. He says, you... Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Because, why? He is kind to the ungrateful and the, and the wicked. I mean, Second Chronicles in life journaling brings that out about how God had compassion on the rebellious. That he sent prophets persistently over and over and over to them. Why? Because he has compassion on the rebellious. Because he loves them. Man, he loves them deeply, and he cares for them. And then he moves on, and, it, it, and I mean, this starts... This starts getting, remember, we start out with those that are, who are easy to love all the way down to those who are difficult to love. So I understand this gets more and more difficult as we move on. But he, then he begins to say, he says, you know what? True love, biblical love, never speaks evil or negative of a brother. Never. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Man, Christians sometimes hurt Christians. Sometimes those are the most difficult hurts to take because you don't expect that out of them. And I know it's been worn out and it's a cliche and all that other stuff, but Christianity Christians are the only group of people that shoot their wounded. This is such a horrible testimony of the local church. That when someone is hurting or wounded or stumbles and falls, listen, the last place, they, the last thing that needs to happen to them is for them to be kicked out of the church. That's when they need the church the most. That's when they need the body the most. Not to be kicked out, not to be shunned. And Paul comes to this point to where he begins to say, Boy, just learn. Learn to bless those who persecute you. And what he's saying is, he says, There are Christians who are going to get carnal. There are Christians that are going to get carnal and in the flesh. And and they're going to say things and they're going to persecute. Philip's translation would render that verse this way. He says, bless those who try to make your life miserable. You know what the word bless means? Speak well of in this context. In other words, learn to be able to speak a blessing over someone. Listen, if you're married, your husband's name should be safe on your lips. Your wife's name should be safe on your lips. Where when you're away from them you don't criticize them make fun of them slander them this issue of bless means to speak well of see we love to talk about how God blesses people but do you realize you can bless people how do you bless people speaking well of just learning to to speak well of see my inclination and maybe your inclination too is when we're criticized to criticize back when we're hurt to hurt back I mean and what Paul is saying don't get involved in in backbiting don't get involved in this rise above it in other words it's a ministry of like affirmation and we can bless people by the way we talk about them and when someone criticizes us Take the high road and learn to speak well of them. George Washington Carver said this. He says, I will never allow another man to belittle my soul by making me hate him. I can't choose how you respond to me. I can't choose what you say about me. You can't choose what other people say about you. You can't choose what, how other people respond to you. But, but what I can choose Is how I respond back to you. What I can choose, what I can control, is what I say about you. And what Paul is saying is that when we're criticized, that boy, we should learn to either to be able to just speak well of, bless, or find something that we could approve of them. Paul lived this out. When, when Paul went to the, the church in Corinth, the church in Corinth was a wreck. I mean, I mean if you want to know how not to do church, read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I mean, the church was a disaster. And Paul practiced what he preached, and Paul went to them and, and said, I just thank God that he's shown grace on you. In other words, if not, you'd be dead. I mean, I just thank God that he had. And, and what he's trying to tell us in Romans is this is learn to try to find something in someone that you can speak well of. In other words, to where you speak a blessing. Or you speak a blessing over their life. And then he moves a little bit deeper and he says, learn to be sympathetic to one another's feelings. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. In other words, take into account one another's moods. Take into account what someone else is going through. Take into account the difficulty. Listen, when I see someone... That it's just judgmental, hurtful, mean. I mean, everywhere they go, it's like someone's hurt, someone's crying, someone's having difficulty. You know what I remember? Hurting people hurt. And usually there's something else going on in their life, deeper, that is causing them to respond like that. That, boy, hurting people, man, hurting people hurt and then he moves a little bit deeper and he says love avoids pride and partiality those two things destroy a church pride partiality those two things will destroy a church those two things will destroy an organization those two things will destroy relationships where he begins to say hey just learn to avoid partiality in other words what verse 16 live in harmony with one another do not be proud or be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited. In other words, he's like, don't play favorites. Man, don't play favorites. Treat everybody with respect. Treat everybody the same. In a church, we're all different economically and, and, and in age and in ethnic background. But the fact is that in Christ, we're all one. That's what I love about our church is the difference in age and the difference in and ethnic background and the difference in education and social status and everything else. But in Christ, boy, in Christ we are one. And when he uses that term associate with people of low, of low position, you know what associate is this? To do life with, to go along with, to walk along with. Man, just listen to my heart. and The church has to be, ought to be, must be. The one place where class, distinction, and racial barriers are broken down. Towards a place where everyone's loved and everyone's valued and everyone's accepted. The most embarrassment that I have from being from the South or being from Texas is racism. In the history that the South carries, and I hate it and I detest it, and I've seen the hurt and I've seen the pain, and I've seen all the stuff that goes along with it. It's just see, there's there, there's exclusive clubs out there that will not allow some groups of people to join their clubs. There are some snobbish churches out there that keeps people different from them at arm's length. But the real church, the real church of Jesus Christ, the church that he has died for, understands that the cross is, the ground is level at the cross. And everybody is one and everybody is the same. And Paul is just simply saying, just treat everybody the same, regardless of their social status, regardless of their income regardless of their ethnic background, regardless of how... When someone walks in the room that's different than you, how do you respond? They dress different. They talk different. They look different. (coughs) Paul is saying, just come to the point where you just treat everybody the same. And all of a sudden, Paul begins to switch gears as he ends this talk. And he starts dealing with with unbelievers. Look at this. Verse 9, Beck, he says, be devoted to one another. He's talking about Christians. Verse 13, he says, share with God's people. Again, he's talking about believers. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another you realize 56 times in the New Testament you see the word one another? If you have Bible software and you can do a search, search on the two words one another, 56 times it will show up. It will show how we're supposed to live in relationship to one another. We don't have time to discuss it this morning, but it is unbelievable. Verse 17 and following, he starts using words like everybody, everyone, and then the enemy. And so now he's not just talking about believers, but he's talking about everybody. So verse 17, here we go. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's our favorite part of the verse, right? I mean, we're thinking blisters, we're, talking, we're thinking pain, we're thinking about all this other stuff. I mean, but you know what? Without knowing the culture, without knowing what's going on, without understanding the Greek, we know this verse is out of context. If we interpret it the way we think, we're going to understand what that phrase means. It's one of the most, most misinterpreted phrases of Scripture. fact is, it's one of the most misused. Oh, I'll bless them so they'll, they'll have pain. I mean, you know, if, if we're human, and we are, <laughs> our first inclination, right, is to strike back. And when someone hurts us, man, we can get in the flesh. I, hurt, I hope someone hurts you the way you hurt me. Then maybe you'll see what you did. Maybe you'll know what it feels like. I hope maybe this happens to you. I hope, I hope maybe you realize and you have to change. I hope maybe you realize you were totally wrong. I hope. I hope you hear a sermon on this. I hope you're listening right now. <laughs> I mean, we know. I mean, in the flesh, we get caught up in the flesh. And so then he moves on. He says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, the qualifier about this passage is this. He's talking about p- uh, personal relationships, not national security, not how we deal with other countries. It's just the context, personal relationship. First thing he says, you've got to counter counteract uh, uh, your natural instincts our natural instincts is to strike back do not repay anyone evil do not repay don't don't become don't overcome evil with evil or how about this don't don't be overcome with evil learn to overcome evil with good. be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody in other words you saying put yourself in their position Put yourself in their position with what they're walking through, with what they're dealing with in life. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, aren't you glad that's in there? Live at peace with everyone, because there are some people you may never live at peace with. He's not promising that. He's just saying, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then he moves in, and he says, and you've you got to understand there's your part and there's God's part. Your part is this, live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. Don't repay evil for evil. Uh, don't take, re- and then all of a sudden he says, that, oh, there's my part. And remember, revenge is different than justice, but he says, leave all revenge to God. He says, don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. In other words, if you get involved in that, got to deal with it. If you get involved with that, God won't deal with it. What's A couple of things. He says, revenge is the most worthless emotion. I have noticed that in my life, and I've noticed that in the lives of others. That revenge is the most worthless emotion. It will zap your strength. It will destroy your life. It will mess up your today. and It will mess up your tomorrow. And you know why? Because revenge is always looking behind. Revenge is always looking in the past. That's why to mess up your day. You can't change the past. You can't change what was done to you. You can't change how you were hurt. You can't change how they mistreated you. And revenge is always looking in the past, and it never looks to the future. There are so many people who can't live in the present because of this issue of revenge, and they're always looking in the past. They're always thinking about that boyfriend that hurt them, or that girlfriend that hurt them, or the ex wife, that ex husband someone in authority over them, a, a relationship. And they can never move on. Revenge is the most worthless thing in the world. And then he says, leave room for God's wrath. In other words, he says, God says, it's mine to avenge. And let me ask you something. Who would you rather get, get even? God or you? God with all power? Who would you rather deal with? Is he, God says this: that if you want to seek revenge, He'll let you, but He'll take His hands off. You know the frustrating thing with that? Then He has to deal with you and them because there's sin in your life. And there's some instances in my past that that's made me angry. What are you dealing with me for? They're the other ones that were wrong. They they did it first. And then he comes down and he says, learn to speak well of them. Learn to find something that you can speak a blessing over their life. Because he says in in doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. Remember I've told you, and I'll preach this as long... As I preach, context drives meaning. And so many times we pull verses out and we don't understand the context in which it was written. And context will always drive meaning. You see, in their day, in their culture, they didn't have matches. They didn't have fire starters or anything like that. So when the fire went out in their house, they would go next door. And they would go next door and they say, hey, could we borrow some coals? some hot coals, because our fire is out, and we need to get it restarted. And they would usually take a huge clay jar that was designed for this. They would usually take it with them, and their neighbor, the next-door neighbor, would take the hot coals and take them out and scoop them into the, the clay pot. And then normally, they would carry the clay pot on their head back to their home, and they'd restart their fire it's the same way in our day of saying i would give them the shirt off my back they would say in their culture in their context i would place burning coals on their head i'd give them the shirt off my back and so many times when we get in these relationships we'll say ah i'll bless them so they'll suffer Burning coals, blisters, you know, everything else. Paul said, no, no, no. That's not what it's talking about. Talking about being willing to bless those that hurt you. Be willing to speak well of those. Don't be overcome with evil. But learn to overcome evil with God that's why Jesus prayed when they were crucifying him father forgive them for they know not what they're doing they knew they were inflicting pain on him they just didn't know that they were crucifying the son of God that's why Jesus said love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself love God then love your neighbor, than yourself. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus, let's make it personal. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. And neither can his followers. Don't give that power to anyone. Learn to overcome evil with good.